So we had a great episode today. I was just talking about how Allie's stomach was making noises <laughs> during the interview. I hope you can edit it out. And like, I literally was tripping. I'm me definitely like, editing it out. <laughs> yeah, I was like listening, like whose stomach is growling? Like, is it mine? I'm not sure. But um, anyways, today was one of my like all-time favorite episodes, I think, that we've ever recorded. I think it's going to be one of our most listened to. I, I really do because I think that it's so relatable. And I think that once people listen to this and they start to learn like what codependency is and what it looks like, people yeah. are going to want to learn more about it. Yeah. And I also feel like codependency is something that like a large majority of the population struggles with. But it's like, mm-hmm. like you said, it's kind of hard to recognize when it's going on. And we touched on this kind of during the episode, but I feel like growing up in the South, obviously Joe is from the UK, but she's worked with Also clients. obsessed with her voice. Oh my gosh. Obsessed <laughs> with her voice. I literally told Ali, I felt like we were talking to Hermione. Like I love her voice. So and sweet. She She's like a little pixie. Like a little she fairy. really is. So her. cute. Yeah. She's so sweet and like so just genuine and amazing. But she, we were talking about how, you know, you grow up in the South and it's like, it's like a requirement that you just have to like break your back for everyone and like be like very yeah. hospitable. And I know that I've always struggled with being a people pleaser. So have you. Like our, a lot of people in our family are that oh, way. Oh, I don't think I am. Oh, really? Oh, you you do a lot of stuff for people. Yeah. Like you you take charge. I think that my people pleasing looks different than yours. Yeah, definitely. And for me, it's like I just want to be a good like friend and sibling and like every single thing and I want to be so supportive but but sometimes that can become a codependent relationship because I will give every ounce of my energy to like other people and then I'm left really burnt out and like just beaten down yeah I was really interested in when she was talking about like codependency with like work and I think for me codependency looks like thinking that I have to do everything that nothing can be done if I'm not doing it and this isn't just with work for me but like in my regular life But just, like, taking on everything, feeling like I have to be the first to, like, jump up and take on responsibility. I think that also comes with being the oldest. Um, So that's that's what it looks like for me. I think that, you know, like, in my life, I like to be in charge and, like, do the planner. And I like to kind of step up and be like, oh, let me, like, you know, I can do this. I can do that. And it's, like, I loved when Joe said just taking a little second and letting the other people around you step up. And not always being the first one to just like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Because then people ex- start expecting you to do everything. And then you're like resentful towards them. Like, why am I doing it? You know? But yeah. it's like, why, why are you doing it? Because you always do it. And you seem like you enjoy it. You and I have both talked about resentment and how it really does kind of fester until it just like explodes. Because no yeah. one is helping you or no one is like planning or no one can do anything as good as you can. And also I loved when she – I loved when we talked about narcissists. I think that the word narcissism is thrown around. Like we we touched on that a little bit. But yeah. after like talking to her about it and hearing her definition, like I really started to think of a lot of people in my life that are narcissists. Yeah. No, seriously. I mean, I think narcissism is a word that is overused, kind of like, you know, people throw around like anxiety and depression. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like she just kind of did a deep dive into narcissism and how it goes hand in hand with codependency. And like, I just realized like, wow, you know, it's, it's honestly scary because I've been in a lot of relationships where I feel like that has been the case as well. So I don't know. I really, I really enjoy this episode. And I'm really excited because 
I feel like our generation now, we're starting to recognize these things. Like, I don't think that even mom and dad's generation took time to step back and be like, wait, what's codependency? And it's like our generation is so mental health focused that like we're going to all start breaking those generational patterns. Codependency is such a generational pattern. You know, it's passed down in families and societies and cultures. So you really have to be the one to stand up and be like, you know what? Thanks. Love you. No, thanks. Not doing this. Yeah. I'm going to make a change for like the the future generations to feel the effects. Yeah. And I think this is an episode where I personally learned a lot. So I really Mm -hmm. think that, you know, if you're listening to this, you're in for a treat because you're going to learn so much and maybe recognize patterns that you didn't even know were there. I definitely want to dive into Joe's episode. So let's go over our weeks and then we will talk with Joe about codependency. Perfect. Um, what was your high and low this week? Well, we're recording this intro a little bit early um, in the week because Allie's going to be traveling, but I have had a really good week. We've been in Florence after traveling for a while, so it's been really nice to kind of just like settle into being here and getting in a routine and going to the gym and like cooking and, you know, normal stuff. And a lot of our friends who we've been with the past couple of weeks who've been like traveling through Europe, um, they're ending their trips and they're all like flying out of Italy basically, or like they ended their trips in Italy. So literally last night we call our, we called our apartment in Hawaii, Southern hospitality because we would always like have people (laughs) like on the couch or in the bed. But last night we had so many people in our little apartment in Florence and people were just everywhere. And it was, you know, it was a little bit chaotic. And I was talking about this with Blaine. I was like, there's so much stuff everywhere. And I was like, but I'm so grateful that like we love all these people and like to just to get to house them and like have everybody here and have the apartment like just full of people that I love so much. Um, So that was really like a high is just being around, you know, some of my best friends and getting to spend time with them and just kind of like adjusting to being in Florence and not being all over the place for a minute. Um, And my low, let's see, I would say my low so far this week. So last night, as I said, we had so many girls here and we decided we were going to go out and meet these guys that Perry met. They were from Australia and they were so cool. But we're getting ready to go out and the power goes out in our apartment. Oh, no. I feel like I was so triggered from all the difficulty that we faced in our apartment. It was like the flood and we just yeah. bought all these groceries and it was like 10 o'clock at night and our power's out. And I was just like really ruthless to our apartment emergency plumber. Because I'm like traumatized from the flood. And I was like, this cannot happen. Like, we have so many girls here. People need to charge our phones. Like, we need air. It's so hot. But luckily, it kind of turned into a high because it was fixed really quickly. But he did tell me that I will be charged for the emergency visit that he paid us last night. <laughs> he was like, he like, opened the don't door. Call, don't text. He, yeah, he opened the door. He flipped the switch that like we didn't really realize was there. And he goes, you'll be charged for this visit. And I was like, okay, well, anyways, yeah, he's not my favorite person. But I would say that's my high and low of the week. Nothing too severe. Luckily, it was easily resolved. So what about you? Yeah. So I think my high, it's been only a few days since we talked. So I've only had like, I think three days. But I think my high, um, I started to feel myself getting a little overwhelmed the other day. Just, you know, my brain is like 50 million tabs always open constantly. And it can just be like a really dark place sometimes. And it just bounces around so quickly from thing to thing. And so the other night, I just gave myself the night to just really get organized. And I sat down. I combined all my to-do lists into one note on my computer. 
And I've just been working through it and just reminding myself that it's step by step, one thing at a time. You don't have to tackle the world. You don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, knock out your whole to-do list in one day or one hour. You know, you can give yourself time. And yeah. I talked about this in the episode with Joe, but just really reminding myself to take things slow because I am yeah. such a fast mover. My brain moves fast. I move fast. I do not like slow people. Um, <laughs> it's frustrating yeah. to me. Me either, honestly. It's so frustrating to me when people are slow moving. Like I, it makes me actually like angry. Yeah. But sometimes like I can be slow moving and then it's like I'm like no one should be frustrated. <laughs> like, you know, it's yeah. like, you it's know, when, when I'm trying – yeah, when I'm trying to execute something and someone's moving slow, I'm like, <sighs> like – Yeah. So I think that was a high for me, just like taking that time and having that realization. And it's really kind of set a good tone for my week. Um, And also just appreciating the little highs. Like, for -hmm. example, I've been cooking at home and I've made some really good recipes that are healthy and just like really fueling my body. And I also, y'all, I found these new AirPods. I thought I lost my AirPods again, but I didn't. I found them again. But while they were lost, I ordered this $20 pair off of Amazon and I'm never going back to AirPods. These actually stay in my ear. They fit my ear. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that AirPods are something that I struggle with. And I mean, the sound quality is amazing. I'm just like a huge fan. Do you think your ears are like unusually small or I think so. I think they're small. Yeah, because I can never get them to go all the way in. Yeah. And they would just fall out. But And then like I can hear better out of these. I don't know what it is. I want Kim K's collab with Beats by Dre. The tan, like, just yeah. they look so lavish. Yeah. I know. I wasn't trying to drop $200 on AirPods yeah. for the fourth time because Honestly, I've lost them four either. times. Um, so, yeah, I think those were just some little highs so far this week. Um, and then my low, I I guess it's like a low and a high. I had a call with my nutritionist on Sunday, and I got the results back from a toxicity test that I did. I had to, like, cut a lock of my hair and do, like, a mouth swab. It was really intense. Yeah. What? Um, I know. No, that's an automatic no for me. I mean, it was like a short lock. It wasn't like a full thing of hair. It was just like if a I cut them a piece of my extensions, who knows what they would come up with? <laughs> I know. I was careful not to cut my extensions because who knows, like whose DNA that is. But anyway, and so the results were like a little bit scary. Just had some things come back that I was like, oh my god, like how could I have not known about this? I just haven't really felt my best. My um. You know, my hormone levels are a little bit off. My cortisol is through the roof, which is like your stress hormone. Um, So basically my body has like been in a state of stress for a long time. And I mean, I could have told you that, but just with everything going on the past year, I'm like starting to see the effects of it. But anyway, so that was just like a little bit alarming, but we have a plan to get back on track. Um, So that's good. And then something I'm excited about, I'm excited because I'm going to Palm Beach. I talked about that last episode. I'm going on Friday. But then before that, I have a session with Kim tomorrow, Kim Salter, who was on the podcast oh, a couple of so episodes great. ago. Yeah, very excited. I feel like I'm just in this kind of transitional point of my life. Like, you know, I'm turning 29 this year. I'm trying to figure out what's next for me. Yeah. And just kind of some personal things that I want to work through. And so I felt really called to make an appointment with her. And I made it like months ago. And then I had to switch it because I had to go out of town. So just really excited to finally get to meet her in person. So yeah, I'll I'll report back on how it goes. Yeah, that was episode 34 with Kim Salter about tapping into your intuition. She's an EFT coach. She's amazing. So if you guys are interested in that, 
um, topic, definitely give episode 34 a listen because that was great. That's awesome. I'm trying to think what I'm excited about this week. Oh, we decided we're like last minute sent a trip to Lake Como this weekend for one night because some of our Hawaii friends we haven't gotten to see yet are going to be there. And we really want to see them while they're in Europe. So we're going to go there for a night. And I'm excited because me and Allie are going when she comes here. And so I'm going to be able to like scope it out a little bit and yeah, just kind of check it out. So I'm excited about that. Where are you staying? We're staying in an Airbnb, like in the city center. So we're kind of like Como City or like Bellagio. Como. Okay. So that'll be a different part than where we're staying because we're on the opposite side. But um, the thing about me, shocker, I am such a researcher. Like I can tell you everything about Lake Lake Como. I can tell you every single thing about it. Guys, (laughs) guys, (laughs) Allie and I have (laughs) now had like two or three meetings um, of which she calls me and she asked me to pull up the Google document that she's made and we go through every day. So we're on the same page about the days as if we're not going to be together and be doing all the days together. And y'all, she literally has it so planned out. It's like, you know, September 4th, arrive in Florence at 5.35, you know, six o'clock, breathe and drink water, seven o'clock. It's so planned out, y'all. And it's so funny because you really have done so much research. And you're like one of the only people that I feel like 100% confident just handing the reins over. And I'm like, yeah. But then I've I've added some things. I I just want – I mean, it's a long way to go. And it's an expensive trip. So I want to make the most out of it. And so that's why – I mean, I'm not trying to like over plan it, but yeah, like everything that you've asked no, me. No, like, everything is planned. The Google Doc. Yeah. See the Google yeah. Doc. Reference yeah. the Google Doc. Yeah, I'm like, Allie, what's this? She's like, see Google Doc. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it's, it's on there in like extreme detail. But I actually love it because I know that it'll go. But don't and complain about it. No, I'm not complaining about it. It just shocks me every time, even though I know that's how you are. Like when I look at how in-depth and you've never even been here and you're like writing like drinks at view on art. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? How did you find this? Like I've only been there once, um, but I'm excited. We're going to do a lot of stuff that I haven't done yet. Yeah. We have a cooking class booked in Florence. We have a villa booked in Tuscany with wine tastings. We have Lake Como booked. Yeah. And you said um, we did mention putting our, once your, your trip is over, releasing our itinerary. So yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen this on our Instagram story, but we've now are doing a newsletter via email. So it's in the link in our bio. You can sign up for a weekly newsletter. Um, we have journal prompts as a bonus for signing up and we will release our like Italy itinerary and just fun stuff through our email to kind of keep you guys in the loop. So hit the link in our bio when you're done listening to this yes. and sign up to join our email list. And we'll also be adding more references on the topics that we talk about. So um, we'll get our guests to recommend books, podcasts, any sort of resources that are helpful um, to the topic that week. So we'll be sending those out. So make sure you're signed up. And then also just want to take this opportunity. Um, If you haven't left a review for us yet on iTunes, please do. That really helps helps us in rankings and just we really want to grow this community so would really appreciate you taking the two seconds to do that. Yeah, it literally means so much to me, even just to read like the little brief comments people will leave in our reviews. And it just makes it worth like, you know, all of the work and planning to make this podcast what it is because we love it so much and we love knowing that you guys love it. So yeah, labor review. And I guess without further ado, we should welcome Joe 
Joe Westwood is a codependency coach. She is located in Nottingham, United Kingdom. She is the host of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast, and she works with clients all over the world to help women break free of codependent relationships and recover from living a life of codependency. She is so amazing. She's so inspirational, and I'm just honored to have her on the podcast. So without further ado, let's welcome Joe Westwood to Go Call Your Sister. because this has been an episode that we've been dying to do for like a month and a half now, ever since I came across your Instagram. And I feel like codependency is something that like in our family, we've had to work through individually. Oh, yeah. So we're just glad. Individually, collectively, everyone yeah. had, had some work to do around it. <laughs> yeah, it's super common. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Tell us a little bit about your journey. Um, how did you become a codependency coach? Um, so I am a recovering codependent. Um, that is the first thing that needs to be stated. <laughs> so that's why I do the work that I do. Um, but yeah, I guess that wasn't something that I realized until I was like 29 or 30. I'm uh, 36 now. Um, and yeah, so I've been a coach for like 10 years or so. And I guess I was working with people on... The, some of the things that are kind of foundational to codependency recovery, but without kind of having a name for it. So things like, um, you know, having boundaries, building up self-worth, learning how to communicate clearly and directly, all of that good stuff. But it wasn't until I kind of went on my own journey of kind of discovery and recovery, um, which came through actually getting divorced. So I was, I got married when I was 28, um, had been in dysfunctional relationships all my life since being a teenager. Um, but it wasn't until I got married that I realized I was married to somebody narcissistic. And that kind of led me to like through that research to discovering codependency and, uh, recovering for myself. And then when I'd kind of been through that process, it became really clear to me, like, how I could I guess like channel that and kind of package it and present it to people in a way that they could do it for themselves because there isn't Mm -hmm. like codependency so common and I think it's definitely being spoken about more and more but certainly a few years ago it wasn't really something that we knew about it wasn't something that you could kind of get direct help for outside of maybe reading some like old school books that didn't you know really relate to a lot of people um so yeah like I decided that that was the way I was going to kind of channel my passion and my coaching expertise and like everything that I'd learned through my own journey I love that I love when you said discovery and recovery because Mm -hmm. like that's such a common theme with a lot of our guests it's like they found something that they were you know having problems with in their life and they I love seeing people translate it into helping others so that's Mm -hmm. really Well, I think the first step of recovery in anything is discovering what the underlying issue is. So I love that um, little phrase. So I guess going off of that, for people who might not be as familiar, what is codependency and how do you know if you're in a codependent relationship? So codependency is an addiction to external validation and to dysfunctional relationships. That's like my elevator pitch on codependency <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then that's, really that's like, a good definition mm-hmm. yeah right because it's, it's a really hard thing to describe and there are lots of um misconceptions and misunderstandings about it but 
even still, I think people don't fully understand, you know, what that means and how it shows up. So I have like a list of common traits that I share with people that really helps people to identify if that's something that might be going on for them or something that they've witnessed, you know, other people having in their lives. Um, and I guess the first thing that I want to say as well is what I how I would define an addiction is um, anything that we use to escape ourselves. So for codependent people, that's relationships. We pour ourselves into other people, into relationships, into the pursuit of relationships, into people pleasing to escape ourselves. You know, for people who are addicted to alcohol, it's not they don't drink alcohol because they love booze. They're escaping themselves. You know, the same with any kind of addiction that we have food, drugs, debting, sex. It's all just a way to escape. Um, So some of the common traits um, of codependency overgiving to the point of exhaustion and resentment, uh, chronic people pleasing, patterns of being in dysfunctional, unfulfilling, abusive or neglectful relationships, uh, manipulating with kindness, difficulty identifying and expressing your own feelings and needs, an inability to set or maintain boundaries unless it's done through emotional outbursts, Um, an inferiority superiority complex, which is um, a fundamental lack of self-worth, but I can take care of you better than you can take care of yourself. Like these two kind of things existing in us at the same time. Um, We feel valued for doing and not being. Uh, So value through productivity and how much we can do and give to other people, not who we just fundamentally are as people. Um, There's also a lot of crossover with eating disorders, ADHD, OCD, and some personality disorders. And codependent people quite often have co-addictions because like when your life is so stressful and exhausting, you are going to find ways to numb out. So again, whether it's alcohol, drugs, food, sex, too much time on screen, social media, like, yeah, there's lots of kind of co-addictions that go alongside codependency as well. Wow. (laughs) I'm like, that is crazy to hear all of those traits that you don't even realize is codependency. Yeah, I think especially for women as well, and like people who are socialized female, it's um, codependent traits are normalized for women Mm -hmm. in a patriarchal, misogynistic society, like Uh, give of yourself to the point of exhaustion and resentment, be selfless, care for others above all else, people please mm -hmm. be nice, be polite. so true. We're basically kind of bred to be codependent by society. And then if there's any kind of dysfunction in your family, it's so easy to just like for it to tip over into codependency. Obviously it can tip over into a million different things and we've all got our traumas and ways that it manifests. But um, you know, it's very, very common for women to become codependent because we go out into the world and, and the world says, yes, that is correct. You sh- you should be codependent. You should be always in the pursuit of a relationship. You should people please. You should give of yourself until there's nothing left. That is that is what it is to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Wow, that makes me so mad. <laughs> yeah, right? Something I want to point out, though, before we go further is codependent relationships aren't just boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, or partner, it's, you could be codependent with a parent, a friend, a sibling. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So codependency, I, I always say like, it's not that you're in a codependent, your relationship, you're a codependent in a relationship. Like Mm -hmm. if you're codependent in one area of your life, you're codependent everywhere. It's just usually that you have like one kryptonite area where it shows up for you in the biggest way. Quite often for people that's romantic relationships, I would say probably the second most common 
is work but your origin story of codependency is going to be your family most likely not always but for I would say like 95% of people it comes from their family as well so yeah it's just like usually when you have this one area that is so overwhelming that overwhelmingly kind of takes your focus you don't realize how you're people pleasing and being codependent in other areas because you seem relatively like normal and stable in those areas it's only when you start working on that kryptonite area and you start to kind of behave in a healthier like truly more stable more secure way that you're like yeah I'm actually doing this everywhere I have this you know I can't help but try and you know, please my parents, I can't have my own feelings and needs around them. Or I have this one friend who I actually really can't be myself with, or I find myself constantly overgiving at work and unable to have boundaries. But it's not until you address that one big area, usually that you figure out shit like this is everywhere. Yeah, I've never thought about being codependent with work. Like I always thought it was codependent with a person, but I've never never considered that before but I mean now that I think about it I'm sure there are so many people that struggle with that yeah especially because I mean Allie and I are from the south um Mississippi and it's such a trait there to be just like so giving and when you're in a family situation you want to be loving and you want to love your Mm -hmm. family but it's so hard to find that line of like being you know a good family member and then also being like a kind person and not slip into that codependency sometimes because you just want to give you know it's super hard because there are a lot of cultural influences as well um Mm -hmm. so I am an American aphile by the way so Uh-huh. <laughs> like I'm kind of obsessed with America and the culture of America and the politics <laughs> of America and like yeah. American, oh, Lord. Politi- American politics is my hobby and so like <laughs> I know an inordinate amount about America and like the intricacies of your <laughs> government and like lots of different things about their culture <laughs> for a British person um so and but obviously like I also have an a very international client base as well And I see the influence of culture on, you know, the influence of culture is always going to infiltrate into any kind of dysfunction or uh, like trauma response that we have, which is what codependency is. It's a coping mechanism, a trauma response. Um, And yeah, like if you come from, and obviously these are kind of big generalizations, but like coming from the South in America, it's very similar actually to where I come from in the North of England, which is, um, you know, kind of like, more like working class, like down to earth, working people, focused on family, all that kind of thing. But in America, you also have the influence of religion more so than we do here. Mm-hmm. Religion, pretty much all big religions are quite patriarchal, very traditional. The more influence you have of like patriarchy and tradition, the more the harder it's going to be to break out of that box of like codependency. Mm-hmm. Because those, like, without <laughs> getting into, like, um, like really big themes here, but it really isn't just an interpersonal level. It goes out to not just with our, you know, workplaces, but also our culture, our society, you know, church, if you're involved in that, wider community, government. Like, we see these uh, same dynamics replicated out and out and out and out, like, you know into bigger and bigger structures not just on an interpersonal level 
Yeah. Yeah. And you can totally see how those patterns are passed down to from like generation to generation. And it's just like a cycle um, that feeds itself. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot. uh, It takes a lot of strength and bravery to step away from that because when you step outside of the dynamics that have been kind of designated by your family or by your community, your church, your society, um, Mm. it's perceived as a betrayal. Yeah. When you say like, because the thing is, the truth is that we can love people and disagree with them. We can love people and say, I want to live differently than you had in mind for me or you would want for me or than you chose to live. But quite often when those patterns are so ingrained in a family structure, a community, a society, a family, it it's almost like it's perceived as a rejection and a betrayal when you say, I love you, but I need to live differently. I love you, Mm -hmm. but I have to break out of this box. I love you, but I don't want to play the role that you assigned to me anymore. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. I guess kind of going right in, like right off of that is what are the four stages of codependency recovery? How can you recognize that that's going on and break out of that pattern? So, um, so I did a little reel about this on Instagram and I kind of described like the, like the general timeline, I would say of when someone decides to recover from codependency. So the, um, the really cool thing about codependency is that it takes a lifetime to get instilled. You've probably been codependent for decades if you're realizing that you are at this point. Um, but it only takes, I would say one to three years to make a really big impact. Codependency is a sliding scale. Some people are more codependent than others. Um, But it only needs to take like, I would say certainly in 12 months, you can make a big impact within like two to three years. You won't recognize yourself. So the way that I kind of described it is like the first like three, you know, like one to three months, you're kind of excited, scared, a little bit overwhelmed. You kind of feel like, if well who am I if I'm not this person but at the same time like I guess it's the same when you'd get on any kind of self-development journey you're so excited and you're like oh my god yes this is going to be amazing I'm going to change my life is going to be incredible (laughs) before you've realized quite how hard work it's going to be and then like I would say like months three to six people are tending to have like regular realizations they're readjusting their perceptions and behaviors constantly maybe like taking a little bit of accountability realizing that they have manipulated with kindness not always communicated in the most honest and direct way um and not blaming this is not about blaming or victim blaming in any way but just taking responsibility for that and like saying how do I play my part in these dysfunctional dynamics by continuing these codependent patterns and Mm -hmm. then I would say like kind of roughly month six to nine you're settling into a recovery routine so I always say like recovery loves um codependency loves chaos recovery loves routine codependency makes you make the most wild decisions it will have you bouncing all around the world like dating all these unsuitable people changing jobs all the time like raising my hand here I did all of these Mm -hmm. things yeah (laughs) just unable to create stability for yourself and just really living in chaos and then you know months nine to twelve like starting to feel secure and solid in their sense of self um sense of worth and identity because 
it's like with codependency you never really get the opportunity to develop your own sense of identity it's always outsourced onto other people and the validation that they give you um, and the roles that they assign to you um so yeah I mean obviously that's kind of just a rough timeline but if you really focus and put your mind to it and um decide that you're done with those old behaviors it can be a relatively quick process and mm-hmm. it, it really like you're never going back once you've done it like mm-hmm. once you've tasted what it is to communicate clearly be authentic to yourself know yourself speak your truth have boundaries like you can't ever go back yeah <laughs> I want to backtrack a little bit because I think we talked about this briefly but can you explain what a codependent relationship with work looks like Yeah. So, um, I mean, it's very much the same as a codependent relationship with, um, with a, you know, romantic relationship or with a friend. So it would be, you know, overgiving to the point of exhaustion and resentment, like working well past your contracted hours, even though you haven't been asked to, or you're not particularly working towards anything. So I have to say, like, I, I'm not against people, you know, got in for a promotion and saying right for the next six months this is going to be my focus Mm -hmm. and I am going to find every way that I can to shine with a view to asking for that promotion or asking for that raise or moving on to that next company that's totally fine but quite often and again I, I think this this often happens with women we're not taught to be very good at asking for what we want what we deserve what we've worked for quite often we just take on these extra burdens so like it's also like saying yes continually saying yes to stuff at work to projects overburdening yourself giving yourself more work because you want to people please or you feel that you should or you think well if I don't do it who will do it and it's like well just shut your mouth because like (laughs) yeah it sounds so mean but I say this to my clients all the time of this like mantra for them like slow the fuck down yeah. Instead of rate being the first one yeah. to raise your hand, just take a breath, step back, close your mouth for 10 extra seconds and somebody else will raise their <laughs> yeah. hand and take on the Literally. project or your manager will pick somebody because the work will get done. And guess what? If the work doesn't get done, it's probably not all going to fall down. Like it's such a myth of this capitalist society that we, um, and again, like codependency is so, our value is so linked to our productivity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's like trying to prove ourselves. And what we do in the same way, um, the same way that we do in like romantic relationships, friendships, family relationships, we treat people how to teach us. So we treat pe- teach people how to treat us. So yeah. you teach people at work how to treat you. How often when you have overgiven of your own volition at work, have you actually been rewarded for it? And how often have you been treated as like the dog's body who anybody can just dump any project on and it's fine because, you know, Joe will do it or Ali will do it or Sarah will do it. Like yeah, they, definitely. it becomes expected of you rather than having boundaries. And then when you do decide to go above and beyond because you have capacity or you decided that you're shooting for something, you take it on in a selective way and then you get praised for it because it shines and it seems different and exciting and like it's almost like on a pedestal to the people who are watching you rather than being oh well it's okay because they'll just do it they do it all the time 
Yeah. And then you become, and it's exactly the same cycle as a romantic relationship. You become beaten down, exhausted, frustrated. Resentful. You feel like resentful. You feel like you're not being heard. You try and communicate that. Nobody understands because why are you complaining? You've been doing this for two years already. Like, yeah. And then you just end up leaving and you do the same thing again in the next place instead of learning to have those boundaries. Um, and and it doesn't help when we have like toxic work cultures. Again, it's it's different country to country. It's certainly like in the US, your work culture is wild. I used to date an American guy and I, the things he yeah, told me about the his workplace is oh. unreal. It is unreal. It's, it's bad in the UK as well, but it is, I've never heard anything like the shit you get put through in America. <laughs> totally I know especially yeah. that kind of girl boss hustler culture but I yeah. want to just like go back on something that you said there is you teach people how to treat you I think that is so important I don't want to skip over that at all because that is something that you need to do in every relationship is you lay out how you want to be treated and mm, I think yeah. so many of us don't realize that yeah and and you have to be willing to um implement consequences Mm-hmm. this is the mm-hmm. thing yes. that I think we find so hard like boundaries are hard enough to put in place what's even harder is maintaining them like if you put a boundary in place you need to be willing to follow through on the consequences of that so if you're if you've like if you've asked for a salary review at work because you're going ab- above and beyond you know quite often we end up doing more than one person's job or someone gets fired and then we're we're expected to just like absorb that workload okay fine yes that can be done but I'm gonna need a new title and I'm gonna need a raise and or I'm gonna need to see a plan for like when this can be re-delegated out to other people or you're gonna take somebody on and I'm gonna need a timeline and I'm going to need a date for that review. And if it doesn't happen, I'm leaving. Expect me to be looking for another job. And we're just terror. And like, I don't, it feels very like privileged and glib to say that in, in an economy where a lot of people are really struggling. And I get that sometimes there are outside forces that kind of stop us from making such big, bold moves. And I do understand that. I understand sometimes you just have to make the smart decision to enable you to, survive but for actually for so many of us there are some decisions that we can make there are some boundaries that we can put in place that we we don't think that we can or we we're afraid to we haven't been taught that that we're worthy of that and so yeah we we teach people that they can just treat us badly that they can as we would say in the UK take the piss out of us and just (laughs) run roughshod over us and just take 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 but you have to be willing to implement those consequences and say, like, if you don't learn to treat me better, I won't be here. Or this is what will happen in return. You will get less access to me, you know, if it's to do with family members, for example. Mm-hmm. Or, like, with a friend, like, I'm going to need to take a break because you, like, this is not a mutual exchange. It's always one way. It's always me giving to you. you I can't remember the last time you asked me how I am or what's going on in my life. Yes. Yeah. And there's such power in setting those boundaries. Like it's almost in a way addicting when you start setting the boundaries and then feeling that change, you know, like Mm -hmm. I actually can't talk to you because you're draining a lot of my energy and I'm not getting anything back and I'm giving you everything. And then when you set that boundary and you see the shift in that relationship, it's like, wow, 
look how powerful I am. Like I actually did that and I saw results. Yeah. And you get the opportunity then to see like, is this a quality relationship that I want to have in my life? It doesn't happen very often, unfortunately, but sometimes when you communicate these things to people, it makes them wake up and be like, mm-hmm. oh shit, like I didn't even realize I was being that way. I'm so sorry. Like I actually yes. don't want to yeah. lose you. And I was being unconscious and I want to be conscious. I want this friendship or I want this relationship or your manager be like, manager might be like, shit, I didn't know you were so overwhelmed because you were yeah. like a You're swan. a great employee. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were just gliding along. I thought you were yeah. handling it all, but I don't want to lose you. So what do you need? What, how can we keep you? It doesn't happen all that often, but you know, it, it happens more than we think it might when we give people the opportunity to step up because you know if you and it's valuing yourself enough and thinking that you are valuable enough that people are going to want to keep you around i think accountability plays a huge part in that too i'm listening i'm in the middle of this um gary v podcast right now about being accountable for your life and like how and you have to really be accountable for how people treat you and if you are unhappy with work. You can't just sit around and complain about it. You need to take action and establish those boundaries and act on them. So I think that's a really important part of all this. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, for sure. And I think understanding as well that it it inevitably impacts your, you know, your family, the people around you. You know, if you've mm-hmm. got a partner at home and you just come home and complain to them every night about work or about this one friend, or, you know, you're constantly complaining to your friends about your relationship, like, it's draining on them too mm-hmm. there's a sometimes you know it's it's not the most healthy and it's not the reason we want to do things going forward but sometimes for codependent people telling them that the way they are is impacting ne- negatively on the people around them is the jolt that they need mm-hmm. to change something because yeah. when our mo is we want to please everybody all the time and we realize that actually maybe we're being kind of draining we think that we're being really generous and giving, giving, giving and doing so much for people, but actually we're exhausted and we're burdening the people around us with that and expecting that and hoping that they will take care of us in turn. It's like, we're holding this load. So can you hold me? Mm-hmm. And what we really need to do is like learn to hold ourselves. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I love wow, that. That's such a good point. And it's easy to call, you know, or like, not directly tell that person. It's like if I called Allie saying, Allie, this person is draining me and then, and like this and this and that. Well, I'm actually in turn draining Allie because I'm telling her these things when I, it really just needs to be a conversation between me and that person saying, Hey, this isn't good for me. I'm not doing well. But then in turn, I'm taking that to someone else and then draining them, you know, and that's not good either. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like, you need to be able to talk to people and sometimes you might need to just let off that steam sometimes Mm -hmm. you might need to call Ali first because if you do you're going to speak to this friend in a way that there won't be a friendship absolutely (laughs) Uh, that's happened many times like that's totally fine I think it's of course it's natural to have like a trusted circle of people that you feel safe with that you can let off steam to and that kind of thing but it's it's when it becomes a pattern. That's how we would like define dysfunction is when it's like a repeated pattern. And the same with addiction as well, right? Like I drink alcohol, but it's not an addiction for me because I don't, it's not a repeated pattern. I'm not doing it continuously. I can say yes or no to it. It's not dysfunctional for me. For some people it is. And it's the same with the way we communicate, the way we express, the way we deal with our emotions. 
if the only way you can deal with your job is to chew your partner or your sister or your friend's ear off about it for hours mm. every night, yeah, that's there's dysfunction there. Maybe you need to look at a different option. I love that because it is such a fine line between, you know, venting to a person that loves you and you love them and then dysfunction. Mm. So I'm glad mm-hmm. that you clarified that because I that's something I do struggle with pretty often totally. is that line. So you talked about being in a relationship with a narcissist. What is a narcissist and how can you recognize that behavior? Okay. So this, I feel like this is hashtag controversial um, because the, um, the word narcissist, the term narcissism has become like hugely popularized in the last mm-hmm. few years, particularly Definitely. over social media. A lot of people are using it. Some people are using it incorrectly. Personally, I would rather that a few people used it incorrectly, but we all had more awareness of it um, than like policing people so much on its usage. So it's really important to be careful for people like me, for whom like this is my work, it's my profession. It's really important for me to be careful around it because there is a thing called narcissistic personality disorder which is a diagnosable mental health condition, which can only be diagnosed by a doctor, by a psychiatrist. I am not a doctor or a psychiatrist. I do not claim to be. I do not claim to be able to diagnose people. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about narcissism um, and narcissistic people. Narcissism, there you can, anyone can identify narcissistic traits in somebody without claiming to diagnose them. Um, The other thing to say as well is narcissistic personality disorder is not very often diagnosed because the nature of narcissistic people is that they are not going to get help for their issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's (laughs) a double-edged sword. That's one of the, usually people get diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder as a secondary thing when they've either come into contact, when they've basically uh, become a criminal and they've come into contact with, they've been institutionalized or the criminal justice system or, and and basically they have the diagnosis put on them um, or as a secondary thing, you know, they might be being treated for depression or autism and then be diagnosed as a secondary thing. So that's actually the most common way that it shows up in that way. Again, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people with narcissistic traits. Some of them could well be diagnosable, but they're not, as I said, they're not going to get that help. The The core trait of a narcissistic person is that they um, can't feel empathy. They can't feel, connect with, or show empathy. Um, it comes from... So the way I would describe it, what happens in a narcissistic person is there is some kind of trauma usually in their early years and if you imagine like your emotional body to be like the same shape as your physical body almost like an aura or something like Mm -hmm. that the the way that the narcissistic person deals with that trauma is that they shove it down and they completely lock it off so I almost imagine it like it's down they shove it down into their gut and they just completely seal that part of them off and it's just like this black box of shame if you can't feel and process shame you can't feel empathy Mm -hmm. you can't feel empathy you can't truly connect with other human beings you can't love them if you can't feel empathy you don't care if you hurt somebody else 
You don't care what manipulation tactics you use to get what you want from people. You don't care if you cheat on people, if you lie, steal to get whatever you want. Um, so that's what a narcissistic person looks like. That's how they act. Um, you know, they commonly gaslight, uh, they lie, they're very manipulative. Um, the cycle of being in a relationship with a narcissist is the over-evaluation stage, commonly known as love bombing. Um, the devaluation stage, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like, which is when the love bombing drops off and all of a sudden you can't do anything right and you breathe too loudly and why are you wearing too much makeup and why are you talking to your best friend who happens to be a guy and where are you going and... And then within that, there can also be intermittent rewards. So when they start to see that they're breaking you down, they like drop in a little bit more love bombing or they take you away on a nice trip or they buy you a gift and you think, oh my God, they do really love me. Um, and they give you a little taste of that love bombing. So they kind of draw you back in, but you go back to devaluation. And then um, you move into the final stage, which is discard, which is when you're complete, when either you've seen through them and you start to hold them accountable Mm -hmm. Or when you, when they can see that they have completely drained you, because when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, you, you are a narcissistic source because they, they like take their sense of kind of emotion and empathy from you. They kind of like suck it out of you like a vampire because they can't source it from themselves. So when they've basically like drained you, there's nothing left. You're a husk. You have nothing to give. You're exhausted. They just move on to somebody else like you never even existed. And that's your, like, anybody that's been in a relationship with a narcissist after hearing that description, that then will make sense to you how they just moved straight on to another relationship and mm -hmm. they felt no remorse. They didn't seem to be upset in any way. There was no guilt that they cheated on you and had somebody else lined up already. Like, there was never really any feeling there. They were just mimicking feelings, love, affection, um and quite often like the material things that come along with relationships as well so that is what a relationship with a narcissist looks like and narcissists and codependent people fit like hand in glove because uh emotionally a codependent person needs to feed and a narcissistic person needs to be fed so it's a constant one-way relationship where you are just feeding them emotionally giving to them and they're taking and this could be a work relationship too Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You can be in a, you can be in a narcissistic workplace, like a culture um, and, you know, all systems of oppression, um, you know, patriarchy, misogyny, white supremacy, um, capitalism are all inherently narcissistic because they all say, give, 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 give to me, mm -hmm. give to me, give to me unconditionally. I give you nothing back, but keep paying your dues. Yeah. So if you found yourself, you know, constantly addicted to narcissistic relationships because you are a people pleaser or yeah. a codependent person, how do you get out of that? Is it just by recognizing that you're a codependent person and healing yourself before trying to jump into another relationship? Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Stop dating. Yeah. <laughs> Stop dating for a while. You're going to need a little cleanse period, a little detox period, an emotional detox period whilst you rediscover who you are because codependency itself is damaging but it can be it's definitely um exasperated by um 
people who are narcissistic and manipulative and abusive and want to take advantage of that if yeah. you're a codependent person who is lucky enough to have always just ended up in relationships with like really secure care caring healthy people and you've just kind of well quite often if you end up in relationships like with people like that you'll finish them because you find them boring um because mm. your codependency <laughs> like needs the drama <laughs> yeah needs to be on that drama roller coaster or because you burn them out because of your kind of anxiety and like neediness and control in mm-hmm. the relationship but like the codependency won't be as heightened but it it really traumatizes you to be in a relationship with somebody who like narcissistically abuses you and that could be one relationship it could be a series of relationships but you really need a period of healing because you need to discover who you are it it takes a little bit of a of who you are away from you 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 already kind of don't know who you are as a codependent person your sense of identity and worth is not very solid as it is and it gets worse when you're in a relationship with someone manipulative so you need to have a cleanse period and Mm -hmm. there are lots of different ways that you can start to access codependent recovery you know books podcasts accounts like mine start to research start to like get on that recovery journey um you know also codependence anonymous which is like alcoholics anonymous but for codependent people there are meetings all around the world uh, like particularly in the US you your country is fantastic i have to say for anonymous meetings you have all of them <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are so many of them so like getting into a 12-step program there are so many different ways that you can access help but yeah like have a cleanse period don't date for at least a year if you've had a pattern of being in relationships with narcissistic people and get on that recovery journey start building up your sense of worth um and figuring out who you are what you want and how to communicate that i think so many people are going to listen to this that may have never thought about if they were codependent or if they had been in codependent relationships and they're going to be like, wow, I relate to this so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. yeah. I think it's often the way. Um, I, I think until you hear the descriptions and the patterns, it's hard to understand what it is or how it might be showing up in your life. Quite often we use this word codependent and sometimes we use it like jokingly. And we just use it to mean like a really close relationship or we use it to describe our like that little like, like needy, anxious girl. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's so much more than that. It's so much more insidious than that. And it may even be that, you know, kind of circling back to what we said right at the beginning, because especially for women, these traits are so normalized. We don't even realize that what we're doing is an issue. We don't even realize that we could, live a more fulfilled life with boundaries and we could communicate what we want and need and it's okay and we can be valued for who we are and not what we do we don't even know that that's a possibility definitely and I hope that this conversation can kind of open up the eyes and the ears of our listeners because that's kind of how we were before we started our like healing journey of codependency and why we wanted to have you on the podcast is because you really don't realize until it kind of just hits you and you're like, wow, I'm actually not an amazing girlfriend. I'm just a codependent person. Or I'm not an amazing sister. I'm just a struggling codependent person. Or so, I'm not an amazing worker. I'm just codependent on my job. Yeah. Clearly, Allie is struggling with the work. 
uh, no, I just I think that there's a lot of people like you don't I'm, realize I'm turning 29 in November, and I just feel like there's a lot of people who I've been talking to recently that do have codependent relationships with work. Yeah, and I don't think it's talked about enough. So I'm glad that we are diving into that a little bit. Definitely. Um, but for people that are, you know, they've realized this and they want to take the next step, how can people work with you? Where can they find you? Um, so the main place that I hang out is Instagram because I am an elder millennial. So, I, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I'm at Joe Westwood on mm-hmm. Instagram and you can also find out how to work with me on my website, joewestwood.com. If people go, do people go to websites anymore? I don't know. Yes. But anyway, you can find lots of useful things there too. Um, and I also have my own podcast, uh, the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast, which is a Ooh. Q&A podcast. Subscribing so, right away. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that is a gold mine of um, answers to my community from Instagram, all their questions that they have about various different aspects of codependency. So mm-hmm. definitely go check that out. And we will link all of this for you guys in the show notes. So you can just head right over, connect with Joe and start your anti-people-pleasing codependency journey. So. The journey of discovery and recovery. <laughs> discovery and <laughs> <Yes>. recovery, baby. <laughs> um, so we like to end the podcast with just two short questions. Um, the first one being, do you have a mantra or an affirmation that you're living by right now? Oh, I was thinking about this. So I, I think it would probably be slow and steady rinse wins the race that's what I'm living by right now um I'm happy with that too it's like I don't know if that if that's something that you can fully realize until you get older like I know you were both still in your 20s and I felt like the more the older you get the more relevant that becomes Mm -hmm. and just like all wisdom I wish I could put it in the brain of the 23 year old me and be like just slow the fuck down calm down everything's going to be okay like if you just move slowly your life is not over the irony of the fact that you feel like your life is over when you're 25 and then you get to 36 (laughs) and you're like I have so much time yeah (laughs) like everything feels like it's a rush and you have to do everything yesterday but one thing that I've definitely learned through my recovery journey is that um you know like slow steady sustainable long-term goals that don't burn you out always give you better results like you know more fruit than trying to rush trying to have everything yesterday um you know not being able to like focus and just settle on one thing and and, like chip away at it bit by bit it it kind of just doesn't it doesn't work out very often so yeah I would say slow and steady wins the race is the one for me so funny that you said that because it goes so against my nature to move slow I'm such a fast mover like and I get frustrated when people don't move as fast as me and I feel like the last I've had several really good conversations with people that have revolved around slowing down and you know just being a little bit slower and making things more intentional. Um, so I think that's definitely a sign from the universe telling me that I really need to implement that as well. So um, I, I'm glad that you shared yeah. that. Absolutely. Same. Yeah, I think I think it's uh, stepping back as well. And again, I just this has definitely come with age for me, but being able to step back and change my perspective on like what is slow and what is fast. Like if I can 
make a big impact on a certain area of my life, whether it's like my fitness or my business or where I want to be in terms of my finances or where I want to live in a year. Like I know that in my 20s, I was like, fuck you. I need it in a week, not a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at 36, I'm like, a, a year is quick. Yeah. A year is a very small amount of time to make a very big impact on my life. Like, I'm cool with that. I can break it down into months, into quarters. I can have little goals along the way that keep me motivated. But I, if it's going to be more sustainable and therefore like more solid and secure, if I do it over a period of a year, then trying to like mm. squash it all into like a month or three months, I would just rather have it that way. Yeah. And it's mm, for absolutely. me, it's been having that like perspective, being able to step back and and be realistic about what actually is a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel that way too. And the older I've gotten, and I'm 23, so hearing the, this advice, like at my age, like you said, it's just, I try to soak it as much as I can. But the older I've gotten, even, I realize yeah. that time moves so fast. I feel like when I was in college, it was like a year. I was like, a year is like so long and now I'm like it's really not it's It's really really not not. (laughs) I know it's Uh, wild it is yeah okay the last thing we ask we usually do a would you rather just kind of like a fun question um Mm -hmm. so a bird came up with this one but Mm -hmm. would you rather have a lot of friends or one best 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 friend yeah like a lot of good friends like say 10 good friends or one best friend oh that's so hard (laughs) I'll go first actually I'll go first because and let you guys think since this was my question I honestly would pick 10 good friends because I feel like my mom and my sister are my best friends so if we're saying like good friends (laughs) and I am such a like tribe person like I like to be around a lot of people so I don't know if this is the popular answer but I think I would pick 10 good friends and and then I'd work on being like my own best friend and like bird you know what I'm gonna pick an answer from left field for me I I feel like I typically would have gone for one best friend but I'm gonna go for 10 good friends because yeah 100% because I think that you are inspired and you grow and you're expanded by the people that you're around. And so I'd rather have 10, you know, good friends that I could be inspired and driven by um, versus just one, I think. And I don't think I always would have picked that, but for right now I'm, I'm picking that. Yeah. And maybe if you have that one, you become codependent on the one. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yes. You bet. Your answers have definitely clarified for me. So this is like a hard one for me because I, I've kind of moved around a lot and um. I met my boyfriend who I th- I'm, I think he's gonna be my forever person we met like oh, we've, been, yes. we've been together for like a year now yeah it's like the best most fulfilling healthiest relationship yeah. I've ever had we've had similar lives we've actually moved around a lot we're in our mid-30s we don't have kids like we've got very different lifestyles to a lot of people our age and so we kind of are each other's like best friend like one best friend mm-hmm. and I love that so much and yet I would pick 10 best like 10 close friends like if you said two to three best friends I'd be like yeah probably that but like yeah one I'm just like fuck no I need because we've both been saying like we need we're moving to a new city next year and like 
we need to make some friends like we're both so excited to expand our circles we love Mm -hmm. being each other's best friend and we're super aware that we need like yeah you need community and you need variety and there is there is a real risk that if it's just that one person you're gonna get enmeshed (laughs) yeah and that shows that shows your recovery journey because you're able to recognize that even like you're the best I love you so much but I need other people because I can't just focus on just you yeah and also I want you to have other people like I want you to like I want you to go go have voice night go do your stuff miss me yeah Yeah. (laughs) I love that that was actually a really good one yeah yeah. Um, well, Joe, I feel like we could talk to you for hours. We've, I know. I, know, I want to hang out so with you. <laughs> I want to like be friends, like be best friends now. Because I just, you, first of all, your voice is so calming and I literally love it so much. Your accent, I'm obsessed with it. And two, yeah. I just feel like you're so wise and inspirational. And Yeah, we'll be, we'll be a part of your 10. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh, I love that. I would love that so much. And I'm like so happy to be like the old British sister. Um. Yes. <laughs> you know, our, first, our first British guest as well. So. Oh, yeah. Honored. Yay. So I feel so honored. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And we will link all of your accounts so all of our listeners can connect with you. And it was just an honor to have you on here today. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you both. Thank you.